to see you guys. Uh, I missed you. Uh, last week I was up with my other family, the one that birthed me. And uh, so it's good to be back with, with you guys now. A couple, a couple like family business things. I know we have some guests here today. Uh, if you're a guest, kind of you can raise your hand or half raise your hand. If you're sitting by a guest, go please grab them a, a mug if you haven't already. We want to make sure that people feel welcome. Um, so guests, thanks for being here. Amen. It's good to have you here. Um, also, we need to know that it is, it is Don's birthday today, which is very important. So Don, come get your birthday present. Don, I bought you a donut, but I bought it, so it's Kroger. It's not one of those good ones. It's not a good one. I, I splurged. I splurged for the ones that aren't already expired. You're welcome. That's from my heart to you. <laughs> well, if you, uh, if you don't know, we are in a series called Fruit, and we're looking at the fruit of the Spirit, and I've um, been excited about this series for a long time, and, and this week when I was prepping, it was really, really heavy on my heart. This idea, uh, it, if you go in order, it's like love, joy, peace, right? Well, Martin Brooks is like the perfect person to give uh, a sermon on peace, and he's not available today, so you have to practice patience as we talk about patience and wait for peace. But as I kind of prepped this, uh, my, my heart was real heavy because we're talking about patience, and I think this is one of those ideas that we have just missed the mark. When the church says patience, I don't think we mean what Paul meant. I don't think we're talking about what scripture meant. And I think that's true even for our city this week. Um, when we're saying patience, oftentimes in church, I feel like we accidentally say like sloppy theology. And we say patience as if like just wait. Just like sit, like just Wait there. And you know, if you've heard me talk like twice, you know, I, I think we should slow down. I think we should sit still. I think those are things that we are not good at. But scripture never tells us to just wait because life is just going to ironically become better. We aren't just to like have patience with like the air. That's not what scripture talks about. And yet we accidentally preach a gospel that is like have patience because things will break your way. And honestly, it's a message usually given by people in power. It's usually whoever is controlling a culture says, oh, just have patience because it worked for me. That's so you should have patience too. And, and so I just had finished this book uh, in response to the, the letters from a Birmingham jail. This one's called Letters to a Birmingham Jail. But in there, Dr. King is quoted in his letter. And I think this is important for us to, to hear. He says... He's talking about how, the, if you don't remember the, the situation, some pastors in white skin sent him a letter, and I believe well-intended, telling him to have, have patience with the, the new police chief and the new mayor and the governor and like, like let things work themselves out. And he was told to wait, and this is what he said in response. This wait has always meant never. 
we must come to see with one of our distinguished jurists that justice too long delayed is justice denied. When you go forever fighting a gen degenerating sense of nobodiness, then you will understand why we find it difficult to wait. There comes a time when the cup of endurance runs over and men are no longer willing to be plunged into the abyss of despair. I hope, sirs, you can understand our legitimate and unavoidable impatience. And I believe Dr. King exhibited the fruit of the spirit in patience. And he lived to the outside world what looked an impatient life. The, this last week here, we have to talk about it. The, this, this last week, a, a message of just go pray was spoke. And, and the way that it was received is the way I received it. I was way up in Minneapolis, and I was like, really? Really? That, that's not that novel of an idea. When you go to the, the people in the west end of Louisville and you say, just go pray as if that's not happening. Because in my life, some of my teachers and instructors in prayer happened to live in the west end of Louisville. And there were prayer walks gathered planned well before last Saturday and well after last Saturday. And they will be going, and I believe they have probably happened as long as there has been a church in West Louisville. And that was another word that felt like just to pacify, just to say something that might be somewhat gospel-ish. Let's just say a word. Let, let's, let's pray. Now, praise God, our, our hope is in God. And our patience is with the Lord. And with the Holy Spirit, that's what we're called the patient. This fruit of the spirit is patience, not just thrown to the wind, not even patience with government, not patience in those ways. It is patience with the Lord to work out what the Lord does. This is patience for the kingdom of God to break through. And it is not about like passively waiting. Patience is one of the most faith filled, hope filled things we will ever do. As we have patience, that means we have expectation. Patience is sitting on the edge of your seat, certain that the kingdom of God will break through. And patience is not settling for anything less. And that's what we need to see in scripture. There's a great difference between being passive and being faithful. And we're not called to be passive in our patience. We're called to be faithful. So patience scripturally means long-tempered. Which is interesting, right? It's a slow to anger kind of thing. Means that you're enduring a lot. Means long suffering, but not for the sake of not having a temper or not for the sake of suffering. That the goal is not so that you suffer and that you do it for a long time. It's that you can endure that so that the promise can come true, so that the kingdom of God can break through. That's the intent. God's glory is the intent in there. We don't just suffer so that we can say we suffered. We suffer so that God can be glorified. It's this endurance towards a promise. And so to look at this, we're going to turn to Romans 4. And because I think patience is something that we just, we just don't get, we're going to kind of unpack it a little bit for us as a community, okay? And then I'm hoping that God's spirit works in you and you're able to see some ways that in your life you need to be enduring towards the promise of God specifically, and we're going to unpack some like corporate things. Does that work? All right, George is with me, so we got two of us. All right, this, this section that we're looking at, starting in verse 16, it follows this 
conversation Paul has about like the law and in obeying the law and the role of that and the role of faith and all these kind of things. And in verse 16, he says, that is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed, excuse me, guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to those who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of all, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. Like, we don't get to dive into that one, but like circle it. Okay, he's, he's the father of all. This is not just a Jewish thing. He is the father of all nations. You fit in this scripture here. In the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. We're going to pause right there for a second. What promise of God is dead to you right now? What promise are you like? That doesn't, it's dead, it's gone. I once was naive when I was younger, and, and I just, I know better now. When you think of the kingdom of God and you hear of the kingdom of God, what doesn't exist that needs to exist for the kingdom of God to happen? I, I'm telling you, this is somewhat the origin of this church. In my life, there had never been a church. There are around the country. I'm not saying that. But in my life, in things that I had ran into, been a part of, there had never been a church that looked like the kingdom of God and wanted to. I'd never seen it. And the dream was dying. And the promise of every nation and every tongue, it, it, was, it was dying to me. And then I, I, I re-met my pastor and all this kind of cool stuff happened, right? What is it in your life that is dead? What promise of God is dead that you don't, even, you don't even pray for anymore? We get really, really addicted to bad news. I get really addicted to a chaotic life. My life, I got plenty of kids. They're all like, they've all got challenges. We got more doctor's appointments than we have fingers. Like, it's, it's, it's a lot. And I, it, that gets really addicting. And you can easily just give up on things like peace. Or even bigger than that, joy. You can give up on the idea that God might heal your heart and bring real community into your life. So you're like, I've never seen it. And that dream is dead. So I'm going to kick against community every single time. What is it in your life that, that you don't even dare ask for anymore? Remember that our God is the God who makes something out of nothing. And who brings the dead back to life. But then we get to this real specific thing for Abraham, right? If you remember, Abraham was called out of his land. And there's this little piece that scholars argue about. His father was also called out of this land. And his father at some point stops. And he spends the rest of his life grieving in a city that is named after his son who had just died. He spends the rest of his life not journeying. He's just there. And Abraham is called to go further. And he's called to be the father of many nations. He's, he's very blessed chronologically. And he, uh, he doesn't have any kids. He's told to look at the stars. And he's going to have as many descendants as there are stars. And that's the promise God gives him. Leave all your family. Leave all you know. Let me be your God. You start my people. You and your wife. And they go. And, and as Paul recounts it, he says in uh, verse 18... In hope, Abraham believed against hope, that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told. 
so shall your offspring be. He hoped against hope. I can just imagine what that's like. You don't have any children, and you're told, look at the stars, you're going to have that many. First of all, I'd be like, how am I going to pay for them? <laughs> and then also just the idea of like, where? Like, I, I'm, I'm not a young man, he had to be thinking. I shouldn't be moving, let alone starting this brand new journey and this new family and all of this. Hope against hope is this idea that God sparks something in you. His Holy Spirit sparks something in you. And before it can start to grow, you go, nah, nah, I'm out. That's crazy. That's the pizza talking. You know what I'm talking about? I just talked to somebody yesterday who was like, I keep seeing the same guy, and, and I feel like I should talk to him. There's no way that I should. And like, really? <laughs> I wanted to send him your message from a couple weeks ago where you told the story of the guy in the mall. Like, come on. Like, you know if you feel that, like, that is something. Yeah. But we just say, nah, that's not God. God doesn't work like that. Like, yeah, well, yeah I think he does. <laughs> I think he does. But where in your life is that, is that space where, like, you have hope that is against everything that seems, that seems possible? So this denomination that we're a part of, I just went to this history course on it, and it was, it was phenomenal hearing the roots of us and hearing how we make sense within it. And it started in Sweden, which I just lost, like, half the room. But, like, it, <laughs> this thing started in Sweden, and it started as, like, dissent. To the state church. And like, now God's more than that. And some people were like, no, but I don't think he is. And there was no other church. Like, it was illegal to be another church. But they said, but maybe. Just maybe we should. And the, the thing they got in trouble for was gathering together, receiving communion, and studying the Bible. And they're like, well, but I, I'm pretty sure as I've opened that Bible that I'm told to receive communion and study the Bible. And so they just kept doing that. And they just kept thinking, like, could, could this really be something? Could we really do the, the things of the Bible? They, like, 1600s, they're out, like, traveling the entire world, starting orphanages and hospitals and all this kind of stuff. None of it existed. It all sounded too big because they're just like little farmers. But they're like, well, just maybe. Just maybe. It's like Jonathan and the armor bearer, if you know that story. He and Jonathan, they're... There's a war that's supposed to happen, but both sides are just like eating. And Jonathan looks at this, this hill, and he's like, well, we could maybe win, like two against like an army. And he says to his buddy, the armor bearer, he says, well, perhaps the Lord's with us. Maybe. And they climb a mountain, and they win the battle. And I mean, this like messes with all my like peaceful thoughts, and I don't understand where it all fits. But this idea of perhaps, maybe, God's bigger. There's nothing, it seems unrealistic, but like, maybe we should probably do it. We should probably do it. Those of you who've been with One Church since the start know this conversation. We had it. We had it in the office upstairs. We had it in this space around tables. We had it in homes. We had it over and over again. What are we doing? There are two churches that are functioning and they're good and we like them. Why in the world would we fold those and start a new one? Well, because just maybe, perhaps. Hope against hope. And some of you, I know your stories. You have a story of hope against hope against hope against hope. And just maybe and perhaps has led you to this place. And you have like story after story after story of God's faithfulness so far. That is patience. 
That is patience. And that's what we need to speak into one another. Let me tell you of a time when it looked like hope was against hope. And my Lord was my Lord. Because we will start not having patience in the air, but patience in our Lord. And we will cling tightly to his promises. But it's not done there. That's like the patience is the part of the fruit that ripens. Okay? And we don't want to open this thing too early, right? But that's what we see happen as the very, very next thing. Look at verse uh, 19. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was good as dead. You can figure out what that means since he was about 100 years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. Sarah's womb. Now, like if, if you've read it in Genesis, it reads a little different than this. Like if you've read it in Genesis, you know he has the promise of all these stars in the sky. And he realizes that he's old, and then he realizes that Sarah's barren. And Sarah, sa- Sarah says, well, you go make a baby over there. And he says, perhaps. And he does. And he, he goes and makes a child outside of God's promise. He takes the promise, acts like it's not about God and his glory, and he just goes and makes the promise happen on his own. It's, it, my, some of my friends, we call it making an Ishmael, and we all do it. We all do it. We say, well, God promises that I will receive this or that I will see this. So instead of trusting and waiting on the Lord, instead of actively being a part of that, I'm just going to go do it. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go find it on my own. God promises joy, but it seems so far away that I'm going to just medicate and pretend that's the same as joy. Yeah. That's what we do. God promises that I will get out of this situation, that my finances that will be healed, that things will look different. And so instead of waiting and trusting and actively doing the work of patience, we say, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to, my taxes are going to look different this year. I'm going to change some numbers. And, and I'm, uh, that week was a double tithe. I'm going to write that one down. And, and, and like, I'm, I'm going to just cheat and cut. And because that promise, I don't know if God's good enough to bring about that promise. But I've become addicted to that promise. So I'm going to make that promise happen. And we really forget that, like, God loves to use us, but, like, doesn't really need us for that. We have an active part in believing and obeying in this beautiful part in the story where we are his representatives. We are the salt and light, but we act like we're the engine. You are not the engine. You're the salt and the light. Now go be that. And way too often, we get this temptation to go make an Ishmael. This church has had it. So we have this building that we want, right? 1212, South 4th. We get the chance to give up on our dreams sometimes and just not move there and settle for here. Now, that's not it. So we decide, no, that's not it. And then there's the idea of moving down there and we can't wait to get there. We're waiting on some finances and the work and all this kind of stuff. And then we get options and we get ways to kind of rush it all. Hey, you know, if you kind of like didn't care about being diverse anymore, you'd grow faster. You know how many times we've heard that? You know, if you didn't actually care about family, you could do this. 
If you didn't care about some of the theological positions that you hold and hold in, live into the tension of loving and, and all of these kind of, if you didn't hold to that, you'd grow faster. And you know what? They're right. We would grow into the church we were never intended to be. And we would do it pretty quick. I'm convinced of it. We'd already be worshiping there. And there'd be a whole lot more of us. And Don wouldn't have to serve the donuts every single week. He'd get someone else to help him out. And it would be a lot less pressure. And you know what? There would be air. Because that new building has air. (laughs) Have patience, church. But that's not how God has laid this out. Because he told us who we were to be. And we have to be who he's told us to be. And we have to love being who he's told us to be. Even if people are like, what is that? What is that church? What is that community? That, that is my church. We, we talked about being named manna. Like, what is it? And I think that's sometimes how people see our community. Like, what is that? Because the idea of being the people of God is just so foreign to us. But if we would just sacrifice who, who we are, if we just throw that aside, if we would just, 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 those points in your, in your heart and in your life where a promise of God is there, and you have the idea, if I just, well, that's the moment where you get to just take it into your hands and go make the promise come true for yourself and not know what it's like to have your God be your God. Have patience, church. Don't have patience in the wind, but have patience in our Lord. He says in verse 20, No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in the faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Now, here's the other thing that's beautiful. Paul is not saying like, but he did screw up. You notice that? Because it's not about performance. This is about faith. He led it off with that. This is about faith. Sure, there were moments where Abraham doubted, but he was also known, as James says, as a friend of God. He was somebody who walked closely with God, and his faith over, overrode everything else. And, and so that should be inspiring to us. I have missteps all the time, but they are not what defines me. How well I do or how poorly I do today does not define me. My faith in my God defines me. And here we see something that I, it, it is, is tough to deal with. Because Isaac is born of Sarah for him. And then God says, give me Isaac. And he has to walk up a mountain and prepare to sacrifice Isaac, his son, back to the Lord. And I've talked with pastors and parents for years on this one where they're like, he doesn't mean what he says. And you know what? I think scripture means what it says. I don't think we always know what it says. But I think scripture means what it says. And I really believe Abraham was at a place where Sarah's womb was dead, and life came. Isaac came, and I believe he was at a place that if if I have to sacrifice Isaac, God will <laughs> he'll bring him back because he'd already seen that happen. And I don't understand all that happened. If you don't know the story, there was a ram, and God said, "Instead, offer that ram." I've seen you as faithful, and he never had to go through that trauma with his son. And God is not a mean, bloodthirsty God. This is not about that at all. This is like how often do we start to see the promise fulfilled and we hold so tight to the promise that we cannot get a hold of God. And that's what we see here. 
God says, I, I gave you this thing that you were waiting at, the, this first fruit. Isaac, he's one star. He's not all the stars, right? I gave you this first fruit in Isaac, and you're holding so tight. Give him back to me. And Abraham, with all the grief that a father would have and wondering if his child is going to make it and all this stuff, he, he, he looses his hands and inherits a God and all of the promises that that God has for him. What does that mean for us? What does that mean for you? I'll tell you, the, the, the worst thing that can happen for one church is that in the next week, all the money for 1212 comes in. And all the all the building is done real quick. In August, just when we want to, we move into that building and we settle. And we're like, we've arrived. We got a home. Let's make this thing purdy. And let's be done. And we, we hold on to that and make an idol of a building. Yeah. It has never been about a building. It isn't even just about an intersection. It's about the people who are at 4th and Oak and how we are called to be salt and light and community for them. It's about our God who has given us a calling not to be a building, but to be present in a space for an environment that desperately needs a home. And so what this promises is we're going to move at some point down to 4th and Oak. And when we move there, that building is held with open hands because God's not done. And this has never been about a building space. This has never been about can, can black people and white people worship together. It's never been about all these small, tiny stories that are, that are first fruits, and they're awesome. But it is not about that. We will not be satisfied with just like a tiny taste of racial reconciliation. That is not satisfying. The kingdom of God is much bigger than that. We're called to be something for the city of Louisville who is desperate for a father who loves and heals and reconciles. We are desperate for, for a justice that is bigger than just punishing those who've, who've hurt the society for something that is like kingdom-like, right? We're desperate for a move of the spirit that's much bigger than we've ever Imagine, so when we get a taste of first fruit, whatever that is, enjoy it, savor it, but hold it loosely. Not that it's going to be taken away necessarily, but that it's not all that God has for you. There's more, and there's more, and this is not some prosperity thing. This is just the gospel. This is just his word. That he intends to pour out himself for us. And through all of this tension and all of this stuff, we see that Abraham was patient, not flawless, but he was patient for it to happen. And then God did exactly what he said he would do. His descendants were like the stars in the sky. And you and I, we are blessed because of Abraham's, not perfection, but his faithfulness. We're blessed because that man long ago and his wife, who doesn't get to talk very much, because they were faithful. Because they said, no, my God is my God, and I will be patient. And this, like, we read it, and it takes us, like, five minutes to read, so we think it happened that fast, right? This is decades and decades and decades of waiting on the Lord, of being patient, not sitting on their heels, like, watching Netflix. They are working and imagining and, and getting, like, thoughts that aren't right and, and fighting against making the dreams come true in their own flesh and in their own way and settling for lesser gods, all this kind of stuff. They are patient on the Lord 
and they see it all come to pass. Paul goes on as, as I close here. And, it, and he says that, that all of this was counted to Abraham as righteousness. But the word it is counted to him were not for Abraham's sake alone, but for ours. That's for you, that's for me. And he goes on and he says, through, through Jesus, we've also obtained access to the faith into, the, into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that sufferings produce endurance and endurance produces character. Character produces hope and hope does not put to shame because God's love has poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. This idea put to shame. I love this phrase in scripture. It's, it's that we are not put to shame, meaning you're, you're not putting your hope out there and finding it returned to you null and void. You're not going to be embarrassed for putting your hope in the Lord. You put your hope in false idols, you're going to be put to shame. Like if I think I'm going to go play shortstop for the Yankees tomorrow, I'm going to be put to shame. And the more I believe that, the more foolish I look, right? And the world who does not believe in the one true God will look on us and see foolishness. Because that's what we do when someone is wholeheartedly committed to a God, but our God is living. And so as you endure the suffering that you face, as you patiently walk through this, trusting in the one true God, then you will not be put to shame. And all of that work of, of renewing your thoughts and your hearts and all of these things, it will not be put to shame. Instead, you'll see the glory of God and the kingdom of God come in your life, in my life, in this church. And I'll let you know, like, I, I'm sure Jamel's on the same page. This this church, this leadership, the people here, like, we will not settle for less. We haven't come this far to trade it out. We'll wait for this fruit to ripen. And we'll ache and we'll we'll cry and we'll celebrate and we'll rejoice and when we start to see first fruits like we already have we'll, we'll hold it loosely because it's not even ours it's the Lord's and we'll see his kingdom come in some radically profound ways that we've never seen before right here in Old Louisville just like it happened let's not be people who settle for anything less okay so we're going to receive communion a little different today over here there's a table that we, we always have one table and that's really meaningful it's different today we, we have one table over here we have one table in the back we have one table over here and we want to ask you to go to a table seated that's near your seat and there's going to be someone who's going to administer communion and pass out uh, a cup and pass a cracker all the crackers are gluten free for those of you who need that and, um, and wait on those okay and then as, as a piece of the family, you're going to receive the body and the blood together because we're in this together. And we're going to worship that way. If, if you have something that you need to pray about or prayer for, or you need to borrow someone's courage and faith because you're lacking this morning, the table is the place to do that, okay? So let me pray and then we'll, we'll receive communion that way. Father, thank you that Abraham's patience, we can, we can call you Father. And Jesus, thank you that you willingly
willingly gave your life that we we may not have excuse on why we can't come before you. Pray that in this time and this space that this is holy, that this is sacred, that we experience you. We thank you that you're not done with us.